very warm welcome to you from Equa Marketing. This presentation is brought to you by Equa.com, a leader in digital marketing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another great episode of GrowingDentist.com and GrowingMD.com. This is a special episode that's going to be shared on both podcasts, and I'm really, really happy to have uh, former Marine uh, Richard Ryerson with me today, and he's somebody who has taught a lot about leadership, both uh, when, you, when he was in the military as well as afterwards, and he has helped and worked with tons and tons of interesting leaders. So, Richard, I'm so glad you took the time to talk to me today. Welcome. Well, thank you for bringing me on your show. It's a great honor to be on, on both shows. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. Um, so why don't we get started you know, with your life story? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience with the Marine Corps. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I think, you know, um, from a leadership perspective and, and kind of what brings me um, so passionate talking about leadership and applying leadership in every life really begins with the Marine Corps when I was in college. Um, I was on the rowing team and there was a, a guy I was rowing with and, and uh, he had a USMC sweatshirt on and and I he had long hair and I said, oh, were you in the Marines? And he said, well, I'm going into it. I, I went to Officer Kennedy School. I'm, I'm going to be a pilot in the Marine Corps. And I didn't even know the Marine Corps had airplanes and knew anything about it. And long story less long, the recruiter he was telling me was going to be uh, on campus the following Monday. So I went and talked to this Marine Corps recruiter. He told me about, hey, if you pass these tests, you can have a guaranteed shot at flight school. And I'd always wanted to be a pilot, but I'd kind of I'd put it out of my head about how this happened. Well, I signed up right there on the spot, and it was the best decision I've made. And so I went through 12 weeks of officer candidate school, graduated, and then I be, went to uh, six months of infantry officer training. And then eventually found myself in uh, Whiting or Pensacola, Florida, and uh, began my flight school career and eventually became a pilot, flew KC-130s for the Marine Corps for 10 years, and then um, I got out in uh, 2001 when I got my dream job as an airline pilot for a major airline, American Airlines, and that was the summer of 2001. I did my training all the way up until my final check ride on September 8, 2001, and I had a few days off, and then September 11th was my first official day at American as a fully qualified pilot. And as you can imagine, the day the, I was uh, landed in Dallas-Fort Worth right when everything was happening, uh, airspace was closed down. I walked into the airport, into the pilot um, operations center, watched the events unfold of 9-11 like everybody else. And then um, less than a month later, October 1st, I was out on the street. I'd lost my job and uh, was thrust in the corporate arena. And I remember thinking of my mindset of like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? All I know how to do is fly airplanes. Well, I got a job as a shipping supervisor at a local manufacturer here in Wichita, Kansas. And I said, okay, I can maybe figure out shipping and receiving, and they're looking for someone to do process improvement and improve the morale of the team. And I'm like, well, surely I can figure this out. And I went there, as you can imagine, with my khaki dockers and my J.C. Penney collared polo shirt and my short haircut. And I, it was like I walked onto the set of that television show, Sons of Anarchy, where everybody looked uh, pretty rough. And it was at that moment that I remember that moment because it was it, it was 
up to that point, I didn't realize how much the Marine Corps had taught me about leadership. And just much like the Marine Corps taught me in those 10 years, um, like a brand new lieutenant who is, um, you know, has nine months of infantry training and he's faced with a platoon of, of guys that have been to Iraq and Afghanistan two or three times. How does that lieutenant who's responsible for these experienced guys gain the respect and, and the the trust of that organization? And like the Marine Corps taught me, it wasn't about their position or their positional authority. You know, it's about having this intensity of will, but at the same time having this strong degree of humility and understanding that, like the Marine Corps taught me, that the leadership doesn't really it may begin at the top, but the real leadership begins at the middle and below. And that that officer, that young officer who's inexperienced, it's that middle supervision level, that non-commissioned officer, that middle and below, that really shapes and forms uh, that young officer. And I always liked that model, and I just kind of assumed that this Marine Corps model of leadership where everybody's taught to think, and I mean everybody is taught to think and act like a leader at varying degrees of accountability, but nonetheless, everyone is taught to think and act like a leader. I just assumed that a business would be run the same way, and I came to find out in short order that it, that it wasn't the case. And as I started you know, investing my time in the for the past 15, 16 years in the corporate arena, I come to find out that there's this huge gap or these huge misconceptions uh, about leadership and what leadership means. And there was this, again, this gap between what I experienced in the Marine Corps and what I've experienced in the civilian corporate sector. And so I've been on this kind of mission or this role to kind of close that gap and share with organizations and and particularly people who don't have much experience with the military, particularly on the Marine Corps side of the house, which is what I'm most familiar with, um, that that playbook that the warrior mindset has can bode extremely well in both the civilian and personal life when it comes to leadership. And what I mean by that is, if you look at the reason why the Marine Corps is so successful at what they do, you first have to look at, well, what are they asked to do well, they're in the combat business, and what is the com- what is combat? It's asymmetric. It's it's chaotic. It's unforgiving. It's ever changing. And the only way that you're going to thrive and survive in that type of environment is if you do what the Marine Corps does from a leadership standpoint. Is if you decentralize the decision making authority, the leadership authority, throughout the entire organization, in particular to the lowest levels, so that you have people who have on the front lines with eyes on opportunity, eyes on the enemy, are literally encouraged to make decisions without asking for permission. So you get this culture of leadership where it is more important to ask for forgiveness instead of permission. Now, corporations and corporate leaders, sometimes they get nervous when they hear that because they think, well, what's the role of the senior leader? Well, the role of the senior leader is not so much about the tactics it's more so about setting the intent of what we want to accomplish and why. And I use the word maniacal. I don't use it lightly. They maniacally communicate every ounce of energy and communication and forethought. The primary objective of the senior leadership is to communicate what it is they're trying to accomplish and why. And then when you do that and you leave the how up to the middle and below, then you create this environment where you do 
have a culture of leadership where people are asking for forgiveness instead of permission. And you get a culture where your strategic planning and your strategic execution become a distinction without a difference. In other words, it happens simultaneously at the same time. And what you produce is this smart organization, an organization that is flexible, adaptable, um, able to deal with the chaotic situations. You're not bogged down in churn. You're not bogged down in processes and regulations and bureaucracy. You're a flexible, adaptable uh, business. And I think that bodes well, that whole philosophy, either as an individual trying to, from, from an individual trying to become a better leader, a better person, a better citizen, a better husband, a better father, a better spouse, whatever, to um, an organization that has 100,000 employees um, trying to satisfy the investors and create a wonderful experience for their customers. So that is my long-winded answer to how the Marine Corps was vital to me and brought me to this point about talking about leadership with you today. Yeah, it's an amazing story. And I totally, totally, I, of course, I didn't know much about Marine Corps until I started talking to you. I had people who had kids in the Marine Corps and stuff like that. But I, of course, you're the first person I'm inviting or who's on my podcast where I'm interviewing you about the Marine Corps. Uh, a couple of points I picked up from what you just told me is uh, leadership is not from the top. It's really from the bottom, right? In the sense, giving yeah. permission to the person in the field, you know, who's who's kind of fighting the battle because the people who are literally, you know, staying in the ivory tower are not necessarily fighting the battle at that moment. So giving right. them that permission, giving them the tools, giving them the training, giving them the confidence, giving them the team so that they can make those decisions together as a team as, as well as individuals. So they're making the best decisions. In other words, what you're saying is we are humans. We are not machines. We are not computers. We are not animals. Humans have a brain. We can think. So... Right. It's a leader's job is to create the environment where we want to think and we can think and we have the confidence because the leadership is going to back us up. That's exactly right. You make some great salient points. And I think, you know, the fact that we all are human beings, and I think a lot of times when people get put into leadership roles, and that's in an organization, maybe you get assigned a leadership role, or even the entrepreneur or, or the, the the doctor or the dentist who's, opening their own practice for the first time. And now for the first time, they're actually accountable for people. And I think where we miss the boat a lot of times, and it's not our fault necessarily because we don't really get sat down and and taught in any practical manner what leadership is. I mean, we know we, we kind of know what it is. We, we Through osmosis and through our experiences, we know when we see good leadership and we know certainly when we see bad leadership and unfortunately there's a lot of bad leadership out there but my point is we're we're thrust into these leadership roles and most of the time we're not given assigned or take on a leadership role because we're great leaders we take on leadership roles because more than likely we were successful in some aspect of our skill set and 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 we we proved ourselves to be a, a good salesman a, a good accountant, um, a good something, a good pilot. And what we fail to realize is that the skills that brought us up to this professional standard of excellence, that, that skill set, being a good student, doing well in medical school, you know, being an apprentice, working well in an organization now I'm on my own and I'm running my own practice, that skills, all those skill sets don't necessarily make you a good leader because the the skill set to be the best 
whatever, dentist, accountant, pilot, salesman, that skill set is completely different than the skills the skill set required to be the leader of the accountants, the pilots, the owner of a business. And that's where we missed the mark. And and the skill set that brought you up to that professional level isn't necessarily the skill set that's going to take you to success running a business or leading a team. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you bring up another point, and you asked a good question, right? How come leadership is something that a lot of people really don't understand? And, and you kind of made an observation early on, and I, one of the things I love about you know talking to you is that you have a lot of humility. You said, you know what? It only when you walked into that, um, you know, that um, that you know job in 2001, you know, as a supervisor, you noticed all the things Marine Corps has taught you beyond flying, you know, planes. Right. You know, about leadership and about those things, but it took you that amount of time to notice. And I think many people are kind of like you. You know, we we are so busy doing it, we have a hard time noticing it, right? Exactly. We're so busy, right. you know, we don't have a hard time thinking about it. We have a hard time because we're just busy, busy, busy working or busy, busy, busy being in the moment. We don't reflect. So I think you're right. I mean, if you really sit and think about leadership, and if you really sit and you know, analyze it. I mean, we will all come to the conclusion leadership is not about telling people what to do, you know, turn left, turn right, sit down, stand up. It's really empowering people so they can make those decisions. They can decide what to do, when to do, how to do it, and with who to do it with, right? But that's a, we just don't give it enough time and we don't think about it. Well, it's exactly right. And, and to your point, uh, again, and particularly look at the professions, whatever the profession is, myself becoming a pilot, a dentist making it all the way, you know, towards finally owning his practice. I mean, we're talking years of study and practical application, right? It just does not happen overnight. And so we put this huge emphasis on this talent. Again, it takes a certain degree about a discipline to become a pilot, to become a dentist, to become a doctor. We get it. I mean, this is a profession. This takes eight, ten, a decade or more to reach a, really a basic competent level, right? I mean, we're not we're talking, you know, eight to ten years, and you're finally able to. In the case of a pilot, now you're an aircraft commander. You're responsible. That's a long time, right? And so you put a lot. And same with a dentist or a doctor. And it's an, it never ends, right? You, it's a constant learning process until the day that you stop doing it. But the point is, we put so much emphasis on talent, and that talent is what we think is what drives success or what drives the significance. And I'm here to say that the talent doesn't drive the success. I mean, the talent is a given, right? It's a given if you're a dentist or a doctor that you have met all the requirements once you've been given your license to practice, that you've met all the requirements to become a basic doctor or dentist or pilot in my case. But it takes... But that doesn't sustain you. There has to be something else. It's talent is a given. You've got to earn your success, and the way you earn your success is through leadership. Eventually, leadership is what's going to drive the significant result that, that, that produces an outstanding practice or a, a one that is just, a, you know, that, that you leave behind a legacy. The talent alone isn't going to, going to take you there. I mean, it's just like in the case of, of flying planes, for example. And I fly planes for American Airlines, and I'm sitting next to guys that have 10, 12, 20,000 hours. I have 7,000 hours sitting in the right seat. You know, these guys that are 18 years old, I'm 48, these guys are approaching retirement to 63, 64, tons of experience. 
at the end of the day, if you didn't know how much experience we had, we pretty much fly the plane exactly the same. But he has, you know, the great captains or the great aircraft commanders have this level of leadership that really is only gained through experience and intentionality, right? It's not really written anywhere except through, well, it is written in a lot of ways through, through the kind of the laws, what I call the natural laws of, of the universe. But does that make sense what I'm trying to say, that it's not yeah. the talent that's going to drive the success? Right, absolutely. And totally, I, I get it. Uh, one of the points you, you mentioned is um, sometimes we model the wrong behavior, right? I mean, there's all kinds of bad leadership. And we think, you know, being rude or being mean is sometimes the best way to be a leader, right? Right. Um, and I think a lot of times, like when you walk into that, uh, you know, that warehouse and you realize, hey, I know a lot about leadership, that aha moment, mm-hmm. so a lot of people don't have it. And I guess they don't think about it. I mean, like a lot of, I'll give you a classic example uh, without going into too much detail. You know, uh, my daughter was doing something with social media and she was trying to help some business and, and she was trying to explain a concept. And the concept she was trying to explain was, you know, you have two TV channels. One is full of TV ads, all about me, me, me. And the other one is 90% what the customer wants or the viewer wants and 10% ads, which one are you going to watch, right? And she was trying to explain this to, you know, that small business owner. And the small business owner's first sentence is, well, I have a degree in marketing. So don't even right. explain it. Right. right. But then when you go to her website, it's nothing but me, me, me. And, you know, and put yourself in the user. But my daughter only 14 but she did i mean a lot of times we have common sense but i think all these things we pick up and we think oh it's supposed to be that way you know because that was in my marketing book or that's what this other big shot is doing so i need to do it that way like we don't like think i mean like you talked about thinking and and like everybody in marine corps is asked to think and asked to make decisions it's not the you know the the the, the the you know the the person with the five stars telling you what to do it's really he's setting the direction he's getting out of the way exactly right? that's a it's a great example i mean I, you're exactly right i mean we put so much emphasis on and it's not to discount or disrespect the talent and the pedigree and the experience that you got in there that that has a lot but what I see ineffective leaders doing is they they rely too much on that what i call positional authority I'll give you I'll give you a certain amount of respect and authority and deference because well, you are a captain in the left seat. You've earned it. For, I don't know anything about you. I'm just assuming you've, you've paid the price. You've done it. You have a certain level of, of responsibility and respectability. But that positional authority can only carry you so far. And you said a great thing about the common sense piece, right? Your pedigree, your marketing degree, and we know how, you know, Will will get your foot in the door, or will give me a certain amount of deference to you that you're somewhat of a qualified expert. But again, it only carries you so far if you're not treating me with respect. If you're not, you know what I mean. If you're relying on that as your as your goal to uh, as a path towards success and significance, it's only gonna, it's not going to take you very far. It's not sustainable. That sustainable yeah, I mean, growth. Go ahead. Sorry. Great leaders. I mean, uh, one person you can think of as a great leader is Gandhi. I mean, there was a story exactly. where he was in a, mm-hmm. in a, in a railway station, and the person didn't know that he was Gandhi. And he says, you know, why don't you carry my bag? And Gandhi literally carried his, you know, bag because he, he's dressed like a, you know, one of those, you know, coolies, right? Meaning the people you pay like a buck to do stuff right. for you. 
And he didn't say anything. I mean, he just carried, you know, he, he put the bag shoulder and he carried his, I mean, that level of humility, that level of, you know. You know, that's a great example. And, and Gandhi's a perfect one. And, and I think that's, you know, and when we talk about leadership or the leadership that I think everybody should strive for is exactly the type of leader that Gandhi was. Rosa Parks was another one. I mean, there's so many great examples of where people did simple things and they actually changed the trajectory of the world, right? And again, it's not that the goal of every leader is to, to start a movement like Rosa Parks did or like what Gandhi did. But Gandhi is a perfect example of the leadership that is so needed is where you have this combination of intensity of will, and you cannot deny that Gandhi had a tremendous intensity of will, right? But he coupled it with a severe sense of humility. And that combination, those two together, it literally will change the world. And if even if not the world in Gandhi's sense, at least you're part of it. Uh, that is the goal that I think everybody should strive for, this intensity of will. But that intensity of will is not for what most people think about leadership. It's not about personal ego or personal gain. It's about the intensity of whatever the cause is for the greater good. For this, you know, There's a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot of selflessness. Of course, what's going to be emulated to the purpose team. over ego, right? He had a purpose, and he was willing exactly. to put that first. And uh, you know, and and that that intensity of will towards the purpose, as opposed to him and his ego. He put his ego last. I mean, yeah, you you think I'm I'm a servant? Fine, you know, that's okay. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to make you know do what I'm about to do. My mission. That's you right. Know? And God is a perfect example of where. You know, and this thing almost gets into the spiritual realm, which I do think is an important aspect of leadership, by the way. But but Gandhi understood that his ego was so solid and healthy that he understood right. that there's no man, there's nobody that can make me like that. Nobody has the power to destroy me or even make me happy. It's all up to me. Right, and I think that's what healthy leaders understand is that look, no one can take it, and it doesn't matter because he was so solid with who he was. And uh, yeah, Gandhi's a great example for sure. If I can go back to that story you mentioned when I um, when I met that the shipping receiving role for the first time, and you know, I had that. There's a little story behind that which I think is relevant to what we were talking about, and when I was walked out to that group and I did have a sense at the moment, like, what am I going to tell this team? You know, these uh, 25 guys who again, were look, were pretty rough and tumble and I did not, you know, and you can imagine as they're looking at me and I had this idea of like, Hey, well, I'll talk about my ring Corps experiences. They're going to be impressed by all the talented things that I've done. Right. So even I was guilty of, but when I saw that and I walked in, I'm like, these guys do not care anything about me. They don't care about what I did. They don't care about my grade point average. They don't care about my accomplishments in the Marine Corps. And as you can imagine, they were looking at me with a great deal of skepticism. And the forklift supervisor who really was looking at me with an evil eye, a guy named Big John, and he was you know, 6'2", 250 pounds, tattoos, pony, you know, braided ponytail, motorcycle vest, bandana, lumberjack beard. And he's looking at me like, and I just, at that instant, remember catching his eye. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to, everything I'd planned to say at that point, I just stopped. And I just introduced myself and I said, hey, I'm here. What do you guys need? 
And he said, what do you mean, what do we need, college boy, is what he said. <laughs> and I said, hey, look, you guys are the experts here. i got a lot to learn. What is it you need? And, again, that was just the kind of the – again, the Marine Corps kind of saved me because that's the exact kind of things that we would hear from these senior enlisted guys. Hey, when you approach – these are what – this is what will gain you the respect is that humility to say, hey, I'm the, I'm the student here. Please teach me how this how this place runs, and in exchange, what in exchange, what I promise you is I will be accountable for everything for every single one of you, the good and the bad, particularly the bad. I have your back. That's the price for that admission, right? And eventually, what he wanted was a magnetic dry erase board. That's what he wanted. And to give you the reasons why he wanted it, it was because they have 30 shipping and receiving doors now in this old place. They just moved into this facility about three months prior. Brand new state-of-the-art facility. Prior to that, he had three doors. So he had 10 times as many doors. He said the challenge was his third shift guys were pulling loads all night through the warehouse, building up these loads, setting in front of these 30 doors, sometimes two, three orders deep behind each door. In the morning, Walmart, Home Depot, Lowe's, the drivers, the truck drivers would come in and they're here to pick up load XYZ. And his guys would be walking the floor, the first shift guys, from the, you know, walking through all these hundreds of loads behind these 30 doors, trying to find load XYZ. And his idea was if he had a magnetic dry erase board with little rectangular magnets, he could mark off 30 spots on his magnetic board. The third shift guys, when they put a load behind door 15, for example, second row back, they would write it on the load number on the little magnet, and they would put it up on the door so the guys behind the desk would know instantly where everything was. And I said, that's brilliant. But I had to throw even mine, you know, as leaders, I got the big idea. He said, hey, I'm a computer science major. We can do this, you know, spreadsheet, access database, all these things. And he goes, no, you don't get it. I just want a magnetic dry erase board. I've been asking for it for months. So I relented. I said, absolutely, this is what I got. So I got on that board, and, and it ended up, and this guy, John, who looked mean as hell, ended up, he was such a compassionate leader to all his folks, had all the respect of all the groups. He cared about everybody. He cared about the business. He cared about perfection. And the fact that I just got on that board, and he told me about a month, two months later, and we developed a pretty strong relationship. And he said, he goes, you know, he goes, you're the first guy in 20 years has ever asked me what it is I needed. And that floored me. And I don't tell that story to think, oh, look how great I was and this and that noble, and quite the contrary. But it just, it shocked me that as simple as some leader asking what your people on your front line need, um, rarely happens. And so anyway, I just wanted to share that aspect of the story um, to kind of drive home some of the points that we've talked up to this point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it makes a ton of sense. It's just um, leaders are here to make the people that they serve better, right? And so right. you are the servant. I mean, real real leaders are people who look at themselves as, I'm here to make everybody around me better. I'm not here to tell people what to do or Exactly. Do an ego trip on them and you know make them feel small. I'm here to make them feel big. I'm here to help them be big, right? That whole mindset. Yeah, you raise a great point. I think a lot of times when people start, you know, saying, "Okay, this sounds good. I want to be a better leader." And I think 
leadership is so easy to understand. It's so easy because the concepts really, you know, the Marine Corps didn't invent them. You know, Gandhi didn't invent them. I mean, these are just principles that just, they're almost like the laws of nature. They just exist, right? They're like the laws of gravity or, or some laws of physics that they're there for you to kind of just hold on to and you can do whatever you want with them, but they're there for your taking. And I think right. that the reason why leadership is difficult, though, to put into play is because it demands a tremendous amount of authentic real leadership demands a tremendous amount of authenticity of vulnerability and courage and maybe even i even throw in inquisitiveness too being curious if you have those four things being authentic being vulnerable being courageous and throw in being inquisitive in there but certainly those first three those are just things as we as human beings for whatever reason because of culture because of of how we're brought up or what society we're just not that good at it Right, and right. and a, and I contend that if you are those things, and they see you as a human being, and it's not about you, it's always about them. Again, that intensity of will coupled with this tremendous sense of humility, man, the sky's the limit. I really believe that, and that goes for not just even if you're just trying to lead yourself or you're leading a team of a hundred thousand. It doesn't matter if you can grasp onto those things, the the world can be a completely different place. Absolutely. Can you share with me an experience you had, you know, working with, um, let's say, a medical practice? Like, you know, just tell me a story. Like, I mean, you have a lot of experiences, and I'd love to hear, be a fly on the wall and kind of, you know, see through your eyes. Medical practice? Yes, please. In terms of when I was in the Marine Corps or been outside no, no, I mean like, because you help a lot of clients right you work with them yeah and sure you, yeah. Yeah. And just, yeah just uh yeah your experience working with the medical practice you know there is there's a great example that i and i'll never my daughter had um i, I have four daughters and my 18 year old i guess this was this was what is this 2017 so this was 2013 so it was four years ago yeah four years ago this month to be exact and she had a pretty severe case of scoliosis. And um, pretty rapid onset of curvature of the spine. And it got to the point, okay, we're going to have to have surgery. And of course, obviously, when something like that happens, you want to you have the best. And we got all the recommendations. And there's really here where I live, there's two, maybe three doctors that do it. If I wanted to expand the region, go maybe 200, 300 miles out, I could probably get another three doctors in there. But in the local area, maybe two definitely, maybe a third, that was you would invest the time in. So we went, obviously, with the most experienced, who we thought, yes, this is the person that's been doing it forever. So we get up to the day of the surgery in the morning of, and I'll never forget, here's this old-school doctor, surgeon, I guess I would imagine he's probably approaching 60, I would imagine. So he's been practicing this. He's been this specialty. He's been doing it since, I don't know, the past 35, if not 40 years, right? Maybe 35, 30 years at least. And I remember we walked in on the day of the prep, and they take you kind of back in the room where they're prepping her, and we get to spend time with her before they wheel her back. And so they're prepping her, and there's a team of nurses, the anesthesiologist, all prepping, just very wonderful, professional, making us feel at ease, making my daughter feel at ease. And then in comes the doctor. 
and he's old school. And you could almost feel like the intimidation when he walked in the room. And he was very demanding, very very clear, made it very clear that I'm the doctor, don't question my authority kind of aura about him. Hmm. And I remember sitting there thinking, and there were other families in there, and they finally wheeled it away. And I remember, you know, and he kind of even chastised the, the anesthesiologist there. He kind of chastised the nurse, this level of perfection or this or that. And they finally ended up, they wheeled her back. And everything went fine. The surgery went fine and this and that. But I remember I was sitting there, I was talking with another family that their kid was getting some sort of surgery to, different doctor, but you know, you're kind of in rooms with the three other, four of the families, you know, buying curtains, but you're kind of sharing there. And so I'm sitting there in the waiting room and I was talking to this other dad and he said, hey, how about that doctor, right? I mean, I'm like, yeah. He says, you know, and we're both kind of nervous because our kids are back to get the surgery, major surgeries. And he goes, man, he goes, if there's any doctor I'd want on my team, that's the doctor I would want. And I didn't feel the same way. In fact, I was even more nervous because of what I saw and how he interacted with his immediate team, right, his nurses and the anesthesiologist. Because he was so intimidating, because he was so old school, I kind of looked at it the same way how the flying industry has changed over the years. In other words, 1950s, early 60s, there was this aura as a pilot, whatever the captain says, does, right? And there's tons of accidents, tons of accidents where perfectly good planes have crashed in, into mountains and lives were lost because of that intimidating authoritarian figure, right? Whatever the captain says, does. And my fear was that was the kind of guy, you know, I could imagine as you do in surgery, you don't question his authority almost. And to me, that's frightening. Right. And I had multiple conversations with younger doctors and this and that, and they even kind of communicated with me and said, yeah, you know, that that's a big struggle that we have, some of these old school doctors and some of this. And again, I get it. This type of profession, you've got a lot of ego that you're dealing with. But to me, I think, and I don't know if that's quite the story that you're looking for, but the thing that jumped out from a leadership perspective that I think is somewhat frightening, because the last thing I want, particularly I just remember when my daughter's life's in the hands, I want that nurse or that anesthesiologist or even that, you know, whoever is the lowest person in the totem pole in that operating room, I want them to be able to have the courage to speak up if the doctor's about to do something dumb, dangerous, or different. And sometimes when you have that authoritative mentality, you can build a wall in there. And people, the way human beings are, I've seen it from accident investigations, and I'm sure it's happened in, in the operating room, where people know they should have spoke up, but they didn't anyway, and something tragic happened, or worse, you know, something, a big mistake happened that was embarrassing at the minimum, right? right. And And so I think, and I don't, you know, and I've had some conversations with doctors and surgeons and hospitals said that there's a, there's a, a big need, particularly in the the surgical field of this kind of like they run aircraft now, this kind of crew concept where it's not your right to challenge me, it's your obligation. And I love that mindset. And I think businesses, operating rooms, flying a plane, you need that sort of, if you're going to be a leader, you need to kind of infect the culture so people feel safe and comfortable to speak up. It's not their right to challenge, it's your obligation. 
So that's that's my thought. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. I mean, uh, um, I think um, there are two parts to this. On one hand, you as a patient want to have confidence that you are in the right hand. So in that sense, exactly. you know, like let's say the doctor is an expert or, you know, is, is, is renowned or has a great reputation. That's good, right? That's a good part of authority. and Which know, he had, right? Yeah, exactly right. right. Which he had. Right. Yeah. On the other hand, being somebody who's part of the Marine Corps and you're looking at, you know, what happens, you know, like in the real world situation, what if there's somebody behind you, you know, with a with sniper, do you want this person to tell you or not, right? Because, you know, exactly. uh, and if he's afraid to speak up because you told him to shut up and never say anything, then he might be afraid to tell you that there's a sniper behind you. I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but you get my point, right? Sometimes That's you don't right. know what you don't know. Sometimes you have blind spots. We all do. Right, so in that right. sense, and I think, go ahead. I think that there's a perfect example of where he could be in, even in a more powerful surgeon. Not again, his reputation and his experience speaks for itself, and that's where that command authority, that command presence, comes from. But for me, that's only part of the equation. You can really round it out and be a really amazing force, is if you couple that with that sense of humility, where you're so comfortable that where that that brand new intern or that, you know, whatever that resident is sitting there with you and he questions about what you to do. And if you sit there and and there's an obligation as a leader, great leaders will go, they'll say one or two things. Hey, thank you for speaking up. Or, oh, I see what you're saying, but this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Thank you, though, for noticing that. I'm sorry, you know, but here's why I'm doing what I'm doing, right? Because there's opportunity there for interaction and growth as opposed to this intimidation. Because absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think I think I've been interviewing a lot of doctors who are leaders and who have a lot of experience and a lot of them have a lot of humility. Like, you know, in the sense I was talking to a doctor the other day and she's in her sixties and she's a Husu in dermatology, her name is Doctor Mary Lupo. But she was telling me that she is she when she helps somebody as you know, a younger doctor she looks at it like, I'm gaining from this. I'm learning from this. And she exactly. was telling me a story where early on, you know, she was with some younger doctors and she's a female. And in those days, you didn't have too many female doctors. So the patient called her the nurse because she was telling them what they could do differently and stuff. And she's telling the other three doctors, you know, you're letting the nurse talk to you like this <laughs> or, or, or <laughs> yeah. you know, point out your mistakes or something along those lines. And she didn't say anything. She just laughed at it and, you know, she just, you know, agreed with the patient and just walked away. I mean, some people, they don't take themselves too seriously, you know. They just have that humility and that's... Yeah, and you're, you know, you raise the, the relationship between nurses and doctors, and I've known a lot of nurses, and they say that. It's like, you know, if I was a doctor, I would want the nurses to challenge me. You know, I don't take a front to that. I listen, you know. If I'm... And, Again, this comes from the Marine Corps and the military, and there's so many examples of it where we were encouraged to do that. I mean, you at least had your chance to to speak with respect. That's the difference, I think. A lot of times people come at it with a disrespectful way, and, and, and there are tactful ways to challenge. And for me as a leader, I encourage it. It made me happy when people challenged me you know, and say, hey, is this what you meant to do, sir? Is this what you want to do? Are you sure about that? I can't tell you how many times my bacon's been saved by a young enlisted guy who's flying the Marine Corps, where they spoke up and they said, "Sir, I think I think your altitude you're given was wrong. You're supposed to be this, or you're supposed to come this heading and that." 
And when you respond in that way, I've seen it where you're like, oh, my God, thank you. I can't believe I, you know, number one, it shows that you're a human being. And then just you can almost physically see their posture difference. Like, wow, I do matter on this crew, right? It's so empowering to um, to the younger folks or the people in different leadership roles, particularly nurses. My God, there's so many opportunities, I think, for doctors. And I get it. Some of the nurses can probably, you know, if they're coming off disrespectful or this, that, you know, you just got to have a thicker skin and not let your ego get in the way. And if you can sit there and say, what do you think? And you ask these nurses, what do you think? I mean, nurses are a perfect example. These are per- these are examples where you, they're the ones that are touching the customer the most, right? right? And that nurse, that nurse makes or break breaks that experience, whatever the case may be. They really do. It's really not the doctor. I mean, the doctor can be the icing on the cake, and they can tip it one way or the other for sure, and you need that doctor and that experience and that knowledge. God, there's so many leadership opportunities for doctors and nurses and hospitals and everything else. You see it all the time. It's so needed. And I think if the doctors look at themselves as, hey, if I'm not doing something right, and I've seen it. I've seen good and bad. I've seen examples where the nurses did challenge a doctor and the doctors recoiled because their ego got bruised or something. I just think that's that's kind of silly, you know? This is an amazing conversation. I wish I had more time, but I you know, yeah. do need to wrap, wrap this up. Yeah, this is an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed our chat today. Um, if somebody wants to get to know you a little bit, uh, they could go to doseofleadership.com. Is that a good place to learn more about you? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I I live and breathe this stuff. I'm a junkie when it comes to leadership and helping individuals, you know, kind of tap into their authentic, vulnerable, and courageous self. I really do. I think that that's the, the currencies. Um, you know, that's the that'll drive you to a life of significance. You know, your talent will get you some level of success, but if you really want to start driving toward a significant life. Um, you've got to tap into the authenticity, the vulnerability, the courage, get to that intensity of will coupled with a sense of humility, and then the world just completely transforms. So, yeah, I'm always interested in helping professionals. If, if you know They're successful. They got there for a reason. But if something's lacking, if there's a gnawing, if something's missing, I love working with individuals, particularly professionals, you know, doctors, dentists, um, who are looking to to in every aspect of their life because when they work with me and they coach it's not just their practice which I can help the common sense the processes the tactics but I can more importantly I help in every aspect of their life trying to get them to tap into that authenticity going to be encouraged so it, their life can be completely different so yeah those of leadership is, is my where my show is where I've, I've interviewed over 300 top thought leaders CEOs um, you know, Steve Forbes has been on a lot of CEOs. Barbara Corcoran from the Shark Tank, entrepreneurs. Uh, Bill Cower, the Pittsburgh Steelers coach, has been on my show. I love talking about leadership, but if they go to RichardRyerson.com, they can learn more about me and my services, from my individual one-on-one coaching to my group coaching. Uh, a lot of times, if I can do group coaching within the uh, organization, like a team. Um, get them to understand, to think, and act like leaders. So that that can be a help for a dentist or a doctor in their practice. And then um, also if they need me to come in and speak, you know, so I do speaking, I do coaching, group, and one-on-one, and then um, that's at richardryerson.com. So that's how they can get in touch with me. Right, so richardryerson.com, and then uh, for your show, it's doseofleadership.com. But your personal site is richardryerson.com, which has all the information about who you are, what kind of uh, services you provide to your clients, and and, uh, how to get a hold of you. Absolutely, yep. You got it.
Perfect. Thank you, Richard. I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Nirin. Bye-bye.